Pastor Ray Bentley points out the spiritual dynamics of our earthly family and our spiritual family, insight based on the words of Christ himself. He tells us that his true family is made up of those who do the will of God in heaven. There are too many Christians who allow unsaved family members to influence them away from their own faith, when in fact it should be the other way around. Welcome to Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. A believer is a part of the family of God, and for some, their earthly family is none too pleased about that. How do we balance the need to love and respect our family members and at the same time put God first? We'll discuss that today as Pastor Ray takes us to the words of Jesus and his insights on earthly families. We are in the Gospel of Mark, so let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. The message title, Spiritual Training, we are God's sons and daughters, and He is training us for sharing His kingdom and sharing His glory, and He is bringing His kingdom, and He has given to us such a tremendous privilege in being his sons and his daughters. And the Spirit, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, in the days in which we live. But I, I just see the Lord setting the stage in the world uh, just as the Bible talks about. And uh, the Lord's plan for his children is to pour out grace and to pour out glory in unlimited measure. And there's nothing special about us. We're not more righteous or more spiritual uh, than any other time or any other generation. But at the same time, uh, he has chosen us to live in this particular hour. And it is an extremely humbling thing because there are many generations who have gone before us and our cloud of witnesses in heaven who longed to live in the days in which you and I live and to see the things that we are seeing and that we are going to see. We are right at the beginning of the greatest revival and bringing in from every nation and every language and every kindred and every tribe a harvest that, that has never happened uh, even going back to the first century, the greatest harvest in human history. You and I are privileged to be here. And that's why we're here, is to get strengthened, to be uh, encouraged, and to be about our Father's business, which is sharing our light, uh, sharing our faith in Jesus Christ, and seeing God bring people into his kingdom. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter three, beginning in verse 20. And we're going to start off talking about how Jesus creates for us a new family. Verse 20 says, Then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. So a revival has started. A renewal has taken place. 
Multitudes are pressing in upon Jesus. It is, as they say, out of control. And in verse 21, but when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said he is out of his mind. Now, go forward with me to verse 31, because this picks up that same theme. We'll go back and fill in the middle verses. But in verse 31, it says, then his brothers and his mother came and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him and they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them saying, who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. So I love this. What I put here in your notes is that Jesus' family tries an intervention. Try to imagine this from Jesus' family perspective. We know that the last time that we see Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, on the scene he is 12 years old, right? After that, Joseph isn't mentioned. So it's believed that sometime while Jesus was still young, Joseph died. Jesus had other, let's call them half brothers and sisters, Mary did have other children uh, with Joseph, but it would have made Jesus the head of the home. And so basically from the time that he was 12 and, and shortly thereafter, whenever Joseph passed away, until he was 30, you might say that Jesus lived a, <laughs> as much as the Messiah could, normal Jewish life. And now one day in the carpentry shop, when he had raised his brothers and sisters to an age they could take care of themselves. He goes into the carpentry shop, dusts off the wood chips, as it were, and the Holy Spirit says, now is the time to go. He goes to John the Baptist, he gets baptized, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he begins his ministry. And we're in the early stages, probably in the first year of his ministry, multitudes, masses of people are coming. And the Lord's family and friends who knew him and watched him grow up, now seeing these crowds and hearing people talk about their brother being the Messiah, and also hearing of threatening rumors coming from the South that he had stirred up things even as far away as Rome and wondering what is going on and, and the religious leaders and threats and plots against him. Uh, they were, as family, concerned for Jesus, worried about Jesus. So they came to Capernaum to do a, an intervention to take charge of him. And I just want to make this note uh, for those of you that are here tonight, and especially for young believers, when you come to the Lord and maybe your family thought everything, you were fine, even if you were in the world and doing some crazy things. And the next thing you become a Christian and you start going to church all the time and, and you are really into the Bible and you're sharing your faith. And then they weren't as worried about you where you were going down the tubes in the world. But now all of a sudden that you're going to church all the time, they're worried about you. You don't want to get too crazy and too spiritual and become a, a nut. Well, history shows that God's servants are often misunderstood by their own friends, their own contemporaries, as well as their own families. So if that has ever happened to you, you are in good company. 
when they came to get Jesus. So, so I'm imagining there were some of his brothers, some real close uh, friends and family from his hometown in Nazareth, and they can't even get into where Jesus is because they got there late and there's a crowd outside and there's a, there's a press inside. So somebody says, we'll get the message. So imagine somebody come, Jesus, your, your mom and, and your, some of your brothers and some other close family have traveled 30 miles from Nazareth. They're here to see, and they're really worried. They need you to come out and talk to them. What does Jesus do? Does he say, oh, everybody, excuse me, my mom and some of my brothers are here. I need to go out and talk to them. Uh, they're worried about me. I'll, I'll be right back. Does he do that? No. He stays where he is, inside, teaching, sharing, ministering, healing, going about the business of his Father in heaven. Now, let me say at this point that Jesus was not being rude uh, to his family when he didn't go out to them. He knew that their motives were right. They were concerned for him. They cared for him, and he understood that, but their purpose was wrong. And in fact, had he stopped ministering in the house and gone out to them where they were, it would have played right into the enemy's hands who were also there with Jesus watching him and observing him and looking for a way to trap him. And so Jesus then uses this crisis where now he is not getting up, he's not running outside to talk to mom and explain to his brothers and whatever family and friends were there outside. He uses this crisis to teach a very powerful spiritual lesson. He tells us that his true family is made up of those who do the will of God in heaven. That's my true family. Now, you know, Mary was a believer, but about his own brothers, where were they in this? Uh, what, what did they really think about Jesus? What, what understanding did they have of him? I think they just saw him as an earthly brother that was very religious and very good. And I think if they thought about it, you know, come to think of it, I don't, I don't remember Jesus ever doing anything wrong, <laughs> which is hard when you have an older brother that literally was perfect. The Lord is te not telling us to abandon our families. He's not telling us by this story to ignore uh, our own loved ones. But here's what he is saying. He is saying that the will of God in heaven is first. The will of God in heaven is even before the natural affinity for an earthly mother, father, brother, or sister. And there are too many Christians who allow unsaved family members to influence them away from their own faith when in fact it should be the other way around. Jesus wanted to have a powerful, penetrating impact not only upon his generation, but by him staying where he was and not going to his family in the long run, it would have the effect of bringing his as yet unbelieving brothers into where he was and to believe in him. And we're born again of God by a spiritual rebirth, as Jesus describes to Nicodemus in the Gospel of John chapter three. And so his brothers, we find that they were not even yet believers. They just saw him as an earthly brother, but the Lord was bringing them into a deeper understanding. Pastor Ray Bentley will have more of today's study in just a moment. 
Since Pastor Ray went to heaven, so many listeners have shared comments on what his teaching means to them. Pastor Ray was influential in teaching us to make the Bible our manual for life. Nothing else was needed and nothing else mattered. He taught us to keep our eyes on Jesus, love God, our neighbors, and the Bible. We can't wait to see Him again. God is good all the time. It's so encouraging to hear how Pastor Ray's teachings have touched so many lives through the years, and your prayers are cherished by the Bentley family. If you have a message to share, you can email us, ray at raybentley.com, or post a comment on our homepage at raybentley.com. And now more of today's message from Pastor Ray Bentley. Seek ye first. Matthew 6, is a verse that we should all have memorized and be able to memorize and meditate upon it in our hearts. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You got that? What are you seeking first and foremost? If there's even the hint of, well, as long as I have the approval of my family or my friends, then I'm okay with my faith. But there comes a time of testing. And by the way, Jesus' life is a model for us to follow. He's in us and he wants his nature to come through us so that we too are to seek first the kingdom of God. If you've never made that decision, let me encourage you on the authority of Jesus from the gospel of Mark that you purpose in your heart that from this moment forward, I will seek first the kingdom of God above personal ambition, above family expectations, above any other love. In fact, Jesus said this, and a lot of people read it in modern Western minds, they don't understand it. But here's what he said, and then I'll explain what he meant. When he said, unless you hate father and mother and love me, you're not worthy to be part of my kingdom. Wow, hate? Well, where, where is that? And so now let me give you a very brief uh, Hebrew lesson 101. What Jesus was teaching when he said, as we translate it into English, unless you hate father, mother, brother, sister, whatever, you're not worthy. Here's what he's not saying. He is not saying hate mom, dad, brother, and sister, and only love Jesus. That's not what he's saying. Here's what he is saying. He's saying that your love for me by comparison should be this wide. It should be that there is no, well, you know, dad said, okay, God, I would love to follow you, but I got to just keep, you know, and mom, and, and I'm worried about this. And you get tied into your family. And now your family is right on the same plane as God himself. And that's going to get you into trouble. It'll cause hesitation. Your life will be out of a divine order. And so what, what Jesus is saying, obviously, the, the, in the Ten Commandments, <laughs> God says, honor your father and mother. But the love, think about this, the love that God says and that Jesus lived, exemplified, and then is training us and discipling us to follow after is that even with my own mom and my own dad or my own spouse or my own children, there is no comparison. There is no one else who is in the number one place of my life than God. He is first and there is no competition. There's nothing that will take the rivalry of his place in my heart, seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. And then 
Everything else shall be added unto you. Then there will be divine order. Amen? So that's what Jesus was doing here. This, he, was, he was establishing a divine order. Now, eventually, and with time, and actually with even some of his brothers, such as James, who wrote the book of James, right at the end of the New Testament, he did not become a believer in his own brother as the Messiah until after the resurrection. And it says, and he appeared unto Peter and unto James. And you know James is the, the King James anglicized version of Jacob. His brother's name was Jacob, the same name from which Israel itself comes from, who had the 12 tribes come from him. Isn't that amazing? It's very interesting to read the book of James, realizing this is a man who was a half-brother of Jesus who did not believe in him when he was alive, but after he was resurrected and appeared before him, what choice did he have? And then he writes some of the most powerful, penetrating words anywhere in the New Testament about, and he doesn't say, this is James, the brother of the Lord, that you should read my letter. James, the servant of the Lord. He had, he had Jesus in the place where he belonged. Jesus teaches us. Now, he begins in verse 22, Mark chapter 3, to go on. It says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder the, his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. Jesus begins here teaching now about the kingdom. He has apparently just cast out demons out of someone. And his critics, the religious leaders, some of them, they cannot deny that he has just cast out a demon. <laughs> when, when this has happened, it's quite obvious. So they don't even try to deny that it happened. But they ascribe it to he did it by the devil, to the devil, and that's where, because they could not accept. They started with the presupposition, he is not the Messiah, therefore, how do we explain this? <laughs> Rather than how did he do this and coming to the conclusion that he was, in fact, who he claimed to be and had the power he claimed to have. So at this point, the Gospel of Mark introduces a new word to us in these verses. He, he spoke to them, he called them together and he said, I wanna tell you a parable. So here we have a new word, parables. As I've written here, a parable is a story that has a deeper meaning or a teaching inside of it. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but uh, that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning or that it's an illustration. In fact, a parable is much, much more than that. In fact, it is something, a, a parable of Jesus is so powerful that when some of the religious leaders heard some of his parables, they became so enraged that they began to plot Jesus' death. That's not just an illustration. That's far more than a, you know, a nice story with a spiritual meaning. There is something special, powerful, revelation 
about a parable that is divine. As I mentioned here, a parable is first of all a picture that turns into a mirror that following becomes a window. I would say that a parable starts as a picture that grabs your attention. And yet, as we look at that picture, it's something that, that grabs your attention, it, it, it grabs your eyes, and you're going, wow, I've never seen any picture. Jesus could paint a picture. <laughs> and so you're looking at this picture, and the more you stare at the picture, all of a sudden, here's the, the deep, uh, spiritual, supernatural aspect of a parable. As you're reading the story, thinking, wow, this is interesting, and I'm looking at it as some theological thing, all of a sudden, this picture turns into a mirror. And all of a sudden, in the midst of that parable, I realize he's talking about me. You see yourself in the parable. And the moment that it becomes a mirror, here's where we all have a choice. We can either, as we see ourselves, as, as the parable reveals us, we can resist it and get angry and turn and blame uh, Jesus, or we can humble ourselves and say, God have mercy upon me. I see who I am. I'm revealed, I'm exposed. I, Lord, help me to really understand. And then if we are humble about it, that picture that is turned into a mirror becomes then a window. And now through that window, I learn something of God. I am able to hear something and see something and learn something that I never was able to before. The question is asked, why did Jesus teach in parables? In fact, if we go into the next chapter in, in chapter four of Mark and there are more parables. Why did Jesus teach in parables? And the answer is very simple. Jesus used parables so that he could both reveal hidden, deep, spiritual, powerful, supernatural truths, but he could at the same time hide them from those who were not really with motives of faith. And they didn't really want to learn. They didn't want to grow. They didn't want to change. They didn't want to humble themselves. In other words, if you're a careless listener, you think you kind of know everything, you'll hear these stories and you'll say, well, yeah, that's a simple story. You got some seeds and a guy throws it out and it happens on this and that soil. Okay, I get it, big deal. If you're careless, you get nothing out of it. You don't understand. But if you are a sincere listener and you are humble about it and you deeply desire to understand what does this mean? You see yourself and then you begin to ponder the parable. You confess uh, your rocky ground or your stubborn heart or your heart, the hardness of the ground of your heart. Confess your ignorance and say, Lord, teach me, show me, break up the fallow ground. Then you begin to understand spiritual things and the seed is planted deep within your heart that affects you emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and roots begin to grow within you that bear forth the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Pastor Ray Bentley with important insights from our studies in the Gospel of Mark. And there's more to come from this study here on Maranatha Radio. Now, today's study is titled Spiritual Training. If you missed any part, you can hear a replay on iTunes or at raybentley.com. That's raybentley.com. We hope you'll stop by our site today. 
When you're there, you can leave a few words in tribute to Pastor Ray's life and ministry. And under media, you'll notice three words, watch, radio, and Devo. Three ways to enjoy Pastor Ray's insights. Plus, click about and find out more about Pastor Ray and find out how you can come into a deeper relationship with the Lord. And at the bottom of the page, you can sign up to receive Pastor Ray's daily devotions via email free of charge. Plus, you'll find other spiritual growth books and resources from Pastor Ray, including his new book called The Final Witness, an eye-opening prophetic fiction novel. So many are enjoying the full five-book series called The Elijah Chronicles. You can, too. And RayBentley.com is always where you'll find the best deals on Pastor Ray's resources. You can also make a donation right there on the site. Your investments help bring the whole gospel to the whole world. Our mailing address is Maranatha Radio, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127. Well, next time, join Pastor Ray for more from our studies in Mark. More from God's Word next time on Maranatha Radio. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley is an outreach of Maranatha Chapel, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127.